Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Subject to Change is here. And today we bring on the pod Metal World Peace, aka Ron Artest, aka the Panda's friend. Whatever you want to call him, he doesn't care. But we got a bunch to talk about. The ups and downs of his career, his time in the league. Also, in remembrance of Kobe and Gigi, we're going to do a bunch of different stories about his time in L.A. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Stick around. Stay tuned. Let's do it. First, first and foremost, I'm calling you Meta. There's Ron Artest, Meta World Peace. Everybody knows that. I know you, Panda's friend. You've gotten, I'm sure, you know, bugged about that your whole life. What are we calling you today? Um, anything you want, my guy. All right, let's do it. I'm going to go with Meta. I'm going to go I'm with going Meta. Meta. I'm going Meta. <laughs> anything you want. <laughs> so is that what you tell everybody? Just kind of like, hey, whatever. Well, yeah, you know, like everybody has different preference, you know. Um, you know, when I was um, around our test, then I changed my name to Meta. Yeah. And then um, after I changed my name to Meta for a couple of years, then I went to overseas to China. Um, then I was playing in um, Sichuan for a little bit of time. And then Sichuan was the home, that's where pandas are pretty much birthed. And I mean, there's no pandas anywhere in the world, but Sichuan, okay. unless you rent them. So then the panda, when I was going out there, and actually before I was going to Sichuan, my daughter loves pandas. So I was trying, I was going to do a line with my, my daughter. So I said, we'll just call it the panda's friend. And then when I put that out there, everybody said, Metal World Peace changed his name to the panda's friend. So then it just picked up. So, oh, so I, you never officially like legally changed your name to Panda's friend? Never, my, no, 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 never. I just, um, people thought that. So I just said, you know what? Let's just make it an LLC and put a brand on it, throw it on Shopify. <laughs> and uh, so that's, what, that's how that happened. And, um, that's, you know, I need to do that. I need to change my name. <laughs> yeah, so so, then, what, yeah. so when you went from Ron Artest to Meta, was that like what kind of transformation, what hit you at any point? Was it just when you went to China or was that before when did that transition happen yeah i went to china in 2014 i changed my name in 2011 i think it was um and the main thing was you know uh, r10 i just didn't know where the name came from okay so i just always wanted to make sure like i'm in control uh as much as possible so i i didn't know where that last name came from and if it came from someone i didn't respect you know um then i just didn't want that name so that was one of the main reasons i changed my name um, and, and then the other reason why, cause there was a lot of war going on. So, um, and different things that, you know, we affected by those things, you know, we want to see peace in the world. So I got into Buddhism. Um, I would say I grew up a Baptist actually. So I grew up Baptist. I went to a Catholic high school. I went to a Catholic university. Um, my, my grandma was Jehovah witness. Uh, I also used to attend the church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church a couple of times. I, did, I went to Mormon church a couple of times. Um, and then the, the faith that I uh, really uh, took hold to was uh, the Buddhist faith and mainly um, inspired from uh, the country of India, right? So Metta is, a, is the name inspired by Buddhism. And then I became a Buddhist, um, not hardcore, but I definitely practice at times, meditation, um, breathing, control, you know, in, uh, in our, actually I would say in my neighborhoods, but in any unstable uh, environment uh, that you've grown up in, if someone has grown up, you know, uh, stability is super important. So if you don't have that, you don't have the tools to control situations, you know, um, you know, so where I'm from, we just react, 
Right. Um, something happens, we just, it don't matter what skin color, it don't matter anything. It don't matter who you are, we just get it popping. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we just get it going. And um, that's, a, that's, not a, that's not a really sustainable um, life. Right. Yeah, so right. that's and then you know, so then with that being said, that's that's how that's how meta came. You know, it was just that it was that's that kind of the story. Right. And then the world peace. I was gonna change my last name, the Buddhist name, but I just thought at that time, it was around the time I think when they were still looking for like I guess Osama at that time and things going crazy at that time. Yeah, that would have been Iraq war or everything going on. Well, Iraq war was ninety-three. Well, Iraq war was a long time, but um, 93 was, I, I was actually affected by the Iraq war as a child. Right. Right. Um, so I think y'all a little younger, so maybe, maybe I went through it a little bit. And Afghanistan era, like the end of that when Obama was getting everybody out of Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. That era was kind of like, a, it was just annoying, right? Like, you know, when is there ever going to be a point in time where we could just chill, go to a country, chill out, you mm -hmm. know, you know, I want to go to Iran. I want to go to North Korea, just chill, you know, sip some mojitas on the beach. You know, when can we go to you know, parts of America with no issues, chill out, you know, uh, maybe hit the ganja with the locals, you know, something <laughs> like that, you know, peace, right? That's what, right. so world peace is like, you know, it's hippie-ish, it's like, you know, it's hippie-ish, it's also like cool, um, you know, and, and like, people that love world peace, they love the ganja, right, so. That's fair, right. I mean, so. <laughs> No, I hear you. So let's talk about just, uh, you know, before we get into all the basketball stuff, it's really interesting hearing like your transformation as a, as a person and listening to the different things where control seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, it's got a focal point in your life, whether it's your name or religion and all this stuff, religion specifically, you moving into like Buddhism and all the, the like what goes along with yeah. what attracted you to Buddhism? Was it meditation? Was it uh, the techniques they use? Um, just the peace factor about it. Tell, tell me a little bit about that kind of transition in your life. No, that's a good question. I love that pistol, uh, Pete. Uh, I, oh, I you like, that. you like that. That's all I got. It's not even hanging up, but hey, it's it's the I, man I, right there. I just noticed that. Um, I think like I think what really attracted me to it was trying to you know find something that you could hold on to. Um, and you can uh, have some peace with yourself. Um, and that was something that I was really big on. So when I actually went through some, um, when I went through my first mandated court for anger management, I got in a dispute, domestic dispute with my ex-wife at the time, right? The courts mandated uh, anger management. They also mandated parenting classing and, uh, and marriage counseling actually also. Uh, I was really reckless at the age 25, 26, 27, just reckless. I was a reckless something before that too. But, um, you know, so when I started to work with my therapist, she was going through some breathing exercises. Right. When I was doing them, you know, I was feeling better. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And she told, she told me where uh, attention is held in the body, here, your forehead, your jaws, your shoulders, and your hips. And she often said, if you just notice, you have tension there. Just notice. And we took a pause. I'm like, oh, wow. So we did some really cool exercises where we would clench up and then release. And then release all these muscles. And then I started to apply that to my game. I started to take it with me on the court. Um, because often I would take any issues I had off the court, I'd take it on the court. 
right. I had on the court, I'm bringing that off the court. So now I was able to bring different tools on the court and it was just the greatest feeling ever. So I wanted to learn more and then that's where I learned breathing. And every year I started to learn more and more and more. And then that's how I became a fan of Buddhism. No, that's crazy. That's awesome. Progressive muscle relaxation, if I'm not incorrect. Man, I'm, I mean, I'm it's a great term. Yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of what, what we kind of go through. I'm sure now college, when you were at St. John's compared to where I'm at now, I mean, even me playing for Bob Huggins, who, yeah. as, as you could imagine, doesn't really care as much about <laughs> where you're at mentally. He just wants you to go out and play. Like, to be honest, you, I mean, he probably like would like, I wish I would have got him. You no, know, I, I I played you know, for Schiller, so they're very similar. It's like, yeah, you know, very yeah. similar. I, I know a lot about Bob just from watching him coach, and I know his practices is crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> three hours and three and a half, really. I mean, I compliance reasons is three hours. <laughs> he, it's And it's like high intensity for three hours. People are like, oh, but you probably do this. I'm like, no. Like, take a break one time during three hours, see what happens to you. Like, it's, he's, you know everything about him, but uh, let's yeah. let's kind of go through Meta. Let's go through your early days before we even get to to college and and St. John's and all that stuff. Let's talk about growing up in New York City. What are some of the biggest things from that city? Because uh, I feel like you embody a lot of different you know times of your life. You embody, and New York City is an easy place to just be consumed with. So growing up on those courts, how much did that city create who you are now today? Man, you know, it's a lot of things with the courts in New York City. Um, you know, um, I mean, I grew, I grew up playing from, I learned my game from my dad and then it passed from a lot of the hustlers on the streets, you know, the dope dealers, a lot of people in jail, a lot of people dead that taught me the game. I'm talking about some of the most intelligent basketball players you ever meet. So that's why, you know, when I played a game, I, I was never that athletic. I mean, I was strong, very strong, fast, but I wasn't jumping over the rim. You know, I, I, I credit that a lot, a lot to the hustlers in my neighborhood that taught me the game. And at a point in time, we had Vern Fleming that went to the NBA, played for the Pacers from my hood. He from the same block I'm from. Then we had Sean Green also played for the Pacers. He from Nas block. Nas, I played on Mob Deep block. Capone and Noriega, that's my cousin Capone played. I played with Capone from CNN, he had 69 points one time in the All-Star game. And then a couple of years later, I seen him blowing shots at a lot of people on the block. You know, so, but these but extremely intelligent players. We, it used to be at times, maybe 10 basketball players on the court, maybe nine of them was gangsters, right? And, 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 and that's how I learned the game. So in terms, in order to make it on that court, you had to bring it and you couldn't be a punk. And so I started to play with them when I was 13 and 14. And then, you know, and then we also had some guys that wasn't hustlers that was really good basketball players. We had Kenny Ito. Kenny Ito, he would have been pro, he got shot though. Kenny Ito got shot and he played with Rod Strickland and Lloyd Daniels at Oak Hill. Then we had Lloyd Newton. Lloyd Newton was on his way to college. Lloyd Newton died on the court. He got a leg table thrown to his heart and he died right on the court. Then we had um, Mike Chatfield, was one really good. Um, he went to jail at 16. He was the best in the hood. We were the same age. When he went to jail, I became the best. Actually, me and Reggie Jesse, we became the best. So then Mike went to jail for like two years in his prime going to college. Wow. When he got out, he was a hustling on the street. He later died in a bad drug transaction. 
he got shot up um, in a cocaine deal. And then we had, um, so most of the people that I play with, extremely intelligent players. So I always pay homage to New York City. So when I was going around the Rucker Park, Kingdom, Soul in the Hole, um, Watson in the Bronx, 119th and 2nd, um, uh, I don't even know, Elm Court, West 4th, 140 everywhere I played, right? right? And when I'm there, everybody knew like, you know, I was bringing that Queens style of basketball, Gershwin Park, Brooklyn. Right, yeah. Gershwin Park. I remember one time playing on Gershwin. This is this is the old Gershwin. <laughs> you know, they had a ratchets out there in the game. Ratchets is coming out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So one time this guy said, you know, you make the free throw. He, he flashed a ratchet right under the right in front of the ref. I made the free throw. You know what I'm saying? We wasn't right. really tripping, but that's the style, man. And that's New York City. I love it. And but you know, um, what made me tough, like. I don't really like what made me tough. Right. Do you find yourself now, <laughs> hey, you know yeah. what I mean? Do you find yourself now taking like parts of New York City and being like, okay, I've, I've entered a time in my life where I don't need that part of me or is that where that control part comes in? You know what I mean? Well, you know, um, I think uh, I think like, the, I love the game of basketball. Well, actually when I was younger, I just didn't, I wanted to just make it as something. So that was it. Um, the game of basketball is something that took me to so many levels, but the love I have for it is a little bit different than what somebody else might love about the game. I love the fact that I was able to use it as a vehicle, um, but I had to bring all my anger inside of it to make it, um, which I don't like that part. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I wish like it could have been just come to the game, play with passion, be happy, but I was never happy a lot of times early in my career, right? It was always like, come to the game, chip on the shoulder and let's go, right? right? And even practices, my practices, I mean, if you was a teammate of mine in practice and if you was a, if you was a 12th man or 13th man, I was locking your ass up. Locking your ass up, same way I'm locking up an all-star. And when I go into practice, you know, I was also a beast and also working really hard, nonstop. The coach never had to motivate me. I was going harder than what he was asking for, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think like, you know, I, 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 when I was 25 and 26, when I got into meditation, what happened was I took a step back. So I sacrificed passion for stability. So then my, 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 I was still averaging 20, I was averaging 2018, you know, I was still doing my thing, but I didn't like the feeling anymore. So I, I almost looked like I became bored, but not really, I was still playing, I still had talent, but I sacrificed the passion for uh, stability. And I just said, I, I just stopped really caring about, I dunk on somebody I don't care. Like, I just want to become for the rest of my career. I want to finish my career, Right. you know? So luckily I did 18 years, 17 years, 18 years. That's incredible. You know? Yeah, you went, you went for a while. And then grow, growing up and like playing in the streets and like playing with all these guys and having a tougher background. Then you go and play AAU when you were younger with like Ellen Brand and Lamar. Was that like a different world for you? Like playing with, these top players in the country and they come from different backgrounds or did you, were you always just like, New York is who I am. So that's how I'm going to be. Man, it was amazing, man. Like, so Riverside church, Mr. Ernest Lodge, um, it was like a pro organization, right? So they had, I mean, just imagine playing a little league and they have um, eight and under 10 and under 12, 14, 16, um, 18 post high school, imagine yep. that and having three teams, each division. 
right? And traveling and they're paying for most of the people to go to high schools. Like this is an unbelievable organization. Um, I don't know if any other organization was ever like it. Um, and then the best wants to play Riverside. So then you get to Riverside, even before I got with Lamar, I was, uh, I was on Brooklyn Queens Express, which Riverside paid for us to play. We had a hell of a team. And me and Lamar actually started out on that team. Then Elton, went to, right, me, me and Lamar started on that team. And then Elton went to Riverside. And actually Eric Barkley was on the BQET. It's called Brooklyn Queens Express Riverside. Then we all got together and then like, I don't, we lost one game, the Baron Davis team. That was the only game we haven't lost. <laughs> Just one game. How good, how good was Baron Davis? Baron was a killer. Baron was a killer. I remember Baron at Nike camp. And I was just like, who is this kid that is like 5'9"? That is just nice. <laughs> Man. And that was Baron Davis for sure. He was killer. How, how much, what, what's the age difference between you and Baron? We the same age. Got you. Okay. Yeah, me, Baron, Elton, we all played, went to Nike camp together and we all got drafted the same year. It was crazy. Yeah, that's, that's wild. I mean, that group coming out of there is, is unbelievable. So you talked about AU and kind of the difference between AU now and, you know, what it was back then and the changes and stuff. Talk about New York City just real quick, because Dykeman, um, you know, obviously Rucker, everything that everybody talks about. But you list off, I mean, a bunch of different places to hoop there. But Dykeman and Rucker really get all the media hub and the hype and all this stuff. Is it the same or is it different compared to when you were growing up? So and how is it it's way different. Dykeman has sustained, I don't, and partially because, you know, the Dominicans, they really kept the culture of that area. Yep. They fought for the culture of the Dominicans um, uptown, Spanish okay. Harlem. Yeah. Um, it was a point in time where um, the Rucker, you know, when they started to gentrify the neighborhoods, they took the music. And it was really sad time because if you're, I mean, if you're a basketball player in New York City, and now you're telling us what to do in our communities, it killed basketball. And basketball hasn't really recovered in New York City since gentrification. So uh, there's nothing really against gentrification. I understand that, but the problem is the people that's moving in didn't understand the culture of basketball. Y'all killed it. <laughs> Great job. Y'all literally killed it. And now I'm, I'm used to playing in the Rucker and people's on the trees, people's on the bridges, Climbing. people's on top of the buildings, packed. Now right. I went to the Rucker and I'm just like, where the, where the hell am I? Right. I left the park one day, I was so upset. So anyway, um, but the best tournament that I think in New York City was Kingdom, which nobody speaks about. Kingdom was probably- That's in Queens, right? That's Uptown Harlem, 125th Street. Oh, cause Hami Diallo, he's a kid from New York. He, yeah. He's the only one, he's the only like NBA dude who like went and played there over the last few years, it feels like. Who, wow. I think what's him and Lance. What's his name? Hami Diallo. He's on the Thunder now. He's he like a, yeah, oh, he the won the dunk contest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he I plays there sometimes. I think Lance Stevenson still goes back there sometimes. Lance probably goes back. Lance is right at the tail end. Lance is right at the tail end of like the greatness of the street ball in New York City. But Kingdom, I don't think Lance played in Kingdom, but Kingdom, it was like a stadium in the hood. Um, and some, it would be about like 3,000 people. It was just crazy. So it was indoor, Kingdom was? Outdoor. Outdoor, okay. 
outdoor. None of the parks I mentioned, the only one that was indoor was Elmcore. Elmcore was a really good league. And then obviously Nike Pro City, which is like Nike Pro City. Is a, I don't even want, I know why I didn't mention that, but Nike Pro City is in the... <laughs> It's a big staple in New York City basketball. You went back and played there recently, right? Like over the last few years. I got a, yeah, I played in Nike. I was the first. We we were the first team to win a championship in Nike Pro City, Queensbridge. Got it. And we got only it, played with it. people from my neighborhood. Well, yeah, we I remember played, that. We played against. We played with some other people also, but we had a lot of people in the neighborhood. And then yeah, I got one title there, but um, yeah. No, but you're right. You listed so many guys who came from there, and even guys who didn't make it. But like us, I mean, I'm in New York still. And they're just not they they're not producing kids. And when they do produce kids like that, they're all leaving to go to prep schools and other things like that. Right, right. You think it's just always gonna be like that now? Like there's not really a way to go back? Well, I, I hope not. I mean, I think the problem with New York City basketball is um well, for one, the coaches like Artie Cox, Kevin Jackson, um, Dermon Player, Bingo, um, the Long Island Panthers, uh, all these teams generate players like us, but it's hard to sustain it when you're coaching, you have a job and you're taking care of these kids for years, 15 years, 20 years, doing the same thing. And I just think like it should be a program where if you make it to the NBA, some type of funding should go back to these programs, right? Because the programs is what made us. The programs is why I'm able to be a Laker great. Oh, not a Laker great, <laughs> a champion. <laughs> I'm not a Laker great. I haven't played there long enough. <laughs> but the programs is why. I call you a great. I call you a Laker well, great. But. I'm, I'm a great ball player, but I, I played on so many teams. So I don't have a, <laughs> but, you know, so I feel like they should pay it back as we pay it forward, pay it back, because you can't sustain it. So, you know, a lot of the guys that sacrifice for us, it's really hard to sustain it because they're doing it year after year after year, helping kids, coaching kids, driving, taking them to school. They need a dollar. They need five dollars. Give them some money to eat. This is not sustainable. Um, and I feel like that's, that's you know, we need to help our New York City coaches more yeah. and recognize them more, you know. So hopefully, hopefully it could be like a program. This program, I'm kind of just an ideation. I'm just spitballing. It's probably just as important as um, um, the legends, uh, taking care of NBA legends. Right. Right. It's probably just as important, but you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Um, so before we get off topic of, of, of Rucker and everything that happened in NYC, you told me, was it, you say 13 and 14 when you first started playing on, on those courts and stuff like that, do you have any from Rucker or Dykeman um, or any of the courts, any crazy moments or kind of like your breakthrough where you decided, cause you growing up said it didn't have to be basketball. It just had to be, I need to make it in something. But was there ever like a tipping point on one of those courts or something happened where you decided and thought, yeah, I can, I can do this? Well, I mean, I got a lot of great stories. Um, well, I was 15, I had 47 points in Elmcore, which was really big. I was really working hard that summer and I was just playing, I was just playing and I was, I was, I was fearless and I'm like, well, I have 47 points in a championship game. I hit the three to win. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Right. And I was like, wow, what's happening to me? I'm, I think I'm a good player. <laughs> there a people that goes around the city after that happens? Like, you know, people start talking, especially when a young kid starts doing stuff like that. Yeah, they start talking. I was, every park I go in, they already knew it was. And the crazy thing was like, I go to the Rucker and they, you know, they know me as being a really good player, but when they like, I got the ball and they're like, hey, but I don't got no tricks. I, just <laughs> right. the ball. I don't got no tricks. I give the ball up. 
because I want to play defense. <laughs> so I just wait to who and now I lock somebody up, you know what I mean? And that's <laughs> but I got some people in New York City, like um John Strickland for RIP, he played well against me. Sometimes um DP played well against me. There's another guy in Kingdom actually. The Maloofs came to a game. So the Maloofs, they just cool people, right? They in the hood. I bring them out to the hood in a game. And then no security. Maybe I'm one security. And then um, so they drinking nutcrackers. Nutcrackers is just like, you know, a local hood drink, right? Uptown. So they drinking nutcrackers in the hood, right? They start throwing money, they start giving hundred dollar bills, right? But they wasn't be, they were just throwing it like but people thought they was being disrespectful. They're like, stop throwing money at me, right? But they were just being nice, right? So it was like it got a little crazy, it got a little crazy. So then they kind of twisted. I'm in the game. And then this dude fresh out of prison, seven days out of prison. <laughs> we, we we got into it, right? <laughs> we get into it. Um, he tough, I'm tough. I don't give a, you know what I mean? I don't really care. And right. um, and uh, he had 57. <laughs> hold Which, on, hold on. He, he was a week out of prison and he dropped 57? Seven days out of prison, seven days out of prison. He came into the park in my prime and I play hard. I, I kid you not, when I'm in these parks, I'm going hard, right? So. He had 57 and hit the game winner off the glass against me, right? Yep. And hit the game winner outside off the glass. And meanwhile, halftime, we was about to get it popping. Like, wow. yeah, <laughs> like, I'm ready to fight. He, I'm in his hood. I'm like, like, let's just do it right now. <laughs> and um, that's and, and I respect him ever since I've seen him to that day. I'm like, yo, you one of the greatest players I've ever seen in my life. That's How old were you when you played him? I was about, I was in my prime at the Kings. I was like 26, just after I had defense play the year. When you, when that happens, are you like, how do I get this guy on a roster? Like, or is it just like, he, he's got no chance of making the NBA. It's just not like well, that. Well, I mean, he was a little out of shape, but he was so nice. Um, his, I forget his nickname, cause I only played against him twice, maybe once, but I seen him play. Cause I went to go see him play again. Cause I was like a fan, right? So I went to see him play again, I think. And I forget his name, but it, once somebody say the name, I remember. Um, but you know, it was a couple of people I thought could have went, but the NBA is different. It's like, you gotta, you gotta be in shape for one. <laughs> you gotta be in tip top shape or you gotta be super nice. And it's only 400 spots, right? So it's people great from other parts of the world. So it's really difficult, but it, it was some people I thought that could have made it, you know, but, uh, it's really difficult. Yeah, it's just kind of how the odds are are stacked and stuff like that. That's that, that's a wild story for sure. Um, yeah. Let's let's move and transition kind of now into the start of your NBA career. Um, so how that started and then the, your transition. My one question I, I had, you know, been thinking about today is just like if you could talk to Ron Artest coming into the NBA, you know, now knowing everything that you know, is there anything that you would have done differently? Told you know Ron at that time look out for this, don't do that, do this for sure, meet these people? Or are you somebody who's like, it happened how it happened? It's hard to say, like at that time, you know, I was caught up in my own stuff. So I don't know if someone would have been able to get through to me at that time, maybe. But, you know, when I'm looking at players and I see someone that potentially had an attitude like I had, I can relate to that more. And then I can give suggestions, some advice, right? So the main thing is whatever you did to make it, when you make it, just keep working hard. You don't have to go too crazy. You good, you hit. Right. <laughs> you got the cash, you got the teams, 
you're good. They relax. <laughs> was, it, was it difficult speaking that you got the cash and you got, was it difficult signing that first contract, you know, coming from New York city where everybody fights for that one contract signing, you know, is that, that whole life change right there? What was the first thing that you did that, I mean, it's a classic question. What was the first thing you spent money on when you got your first, you know, big contract? The first thing, like in my, I went home and just like redid a little bit in my, my in the hood in my house. I mean, that was the, I knew my mom didn't want to leave. She never wanted to leave Queensbridge. <laughs> really? Literally, I had to drag out one time, but she was not trying to leave. My first couple of years, she she came back and forth, but so I just said, okay, I'll just um, you know, make it nice. <laughs> right, right. Just being it nice, but um, uh, and then she moved with me. But that was the first thing I did, like put leather couches and <laughs> we're gonna make sure it's you know okay still. Yeah, it was actually fun. It was actually fun. I hear you. No, that's that that's great. So you you uh you start out who where you get drafted for people listening that that don't understand the beginning part of your NBA story and journey. Talk talk us through those first like five years. Well, you know, I got drafted with the Bulls, Mega came to my first game, a rapper from Queensbridge. Kwame Megan and one of my other hustler friends, uh, Super Ed, came to a game. They came to my first game. Um, that was an amazing experience. And then um, playing with Elton Brand, we get drafted. Um, and actually, the Sal Academy jerseys was made after the Bulls. The shorts, everything's the same, which is crazy. Right. Um, got drafted to my favorite team, Chicago. It's just, uh, it's just crazy for me at this point. You know? That was your favorite team, Chicago. Chicago was my favorite team, I, I, but when they played against the Knicks, I wanted the Knicks to win all the time. Okay. I never wanted, I never wanted the Bulls to beat the Knicks. <laughs> right. Okay. And they would always beat the Knicks. <laughs> That's the only time I was rooting for the Knicks against the Bulls when they played the Knicks. Right. Right. I hear you. Why yeah. do the Knicks suck? Like, why are the Knicks always bad? Like, you played against the Knicks your whole career. They're terrible. Well, I mean, they're okay this year. But they, they, they're doing okay this year. We're doing all right. Yeah. But I yeah. think like the fans are – New York is so t- it's so much media. And then the fans is like, anytime something go wrong, oh, they suck, they suck, they suck. And then um, then they trade, they trade. They churn, churn, churn. And you know what I'm saying? Like, they got to be patient. The fans, if you're not patient, and, you know, Mr. Dolan is hands-on with the Knicks, right? So – He's trying to do what's best for the players and what's best for the for the, for the business. But if the fans is always going to put so much pressure on Dolan, Dolan going to make a decision. The fans is not happy. Well, guess what, fans? If you're not happy, you're not building any um, synergy between the players because you're the reason why they're leaving. Gino, yeah. you got to be you got to be easy. It's the fans' fault if the if they want to see good ball in the, with the Knicks. Look at San Antonio, every fan in New York. Just read the San Antonio um, template. Support. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Right? And then you'll see the Knicks do better. There's just so much pressure um, when you're a player there. But this year is good. It's good. Yeah. I've been trying to fight for them in there. Anytime they play bad and I see somebody like saying something, yeah. I'm just always going on Twitter like, they're not real fans. They're not real fans. <laughs> well, they're playing hard at least now. It feels like Thibodeau, I don't know if you ever played for him. You didn't probably cross paths with you. Yeah, yeah he, he obviously played. 
has guys playing real hard. Do you did you want to play for the Knicks at any point? Like, did you ever yeah, have that opportunity? Hell yeah, hell yeah, I want to play for the Knicks. Damn, I wanted to play for the Knicks bad. Yeah, you know. But you know, I was gonna go to the game from the hood. I already, I already had it mapped out. Yeah, would that have been a bad thing for you? Yeah. Not for me, it'd have been all good. It is what it is. I'm from the streets. If you're on the Knicks, what's a day like for going back into your prime, like 26, a day you're on the Knicks? What would a day look like for you? I think I got an apartment in Queensbridge. I got a nice apartment in Queensbridge, and I'm going to the game from the hood. You might, I might, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get shot, so I'm not worried about it, right? So I got, I'm going to every game from the hood. And um, my first game I played for the Knicks, finally, when they picked me, when I was an old man on a cane, <laughs> I went to the game from the hood. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I went to the game. I slept in the projects, got on a train, and it was the greatest experience in my NBA career. It was the greatest awesome. experience. Absolutely. The greatest experience. I was at my boy house, just slept, took a nap, like a normal nap I would take in my house when I was like playing for the paces or whatever the case may be. Took a nap on, in his bed. Man, it was the greatest experience ever. I wish I could have been a champion as a Nick, but it's okay. I wish anyone could be a champion. I'm a I'm a sad <laughs> Knicks fan. I wish anyone yeah, could be too, a champion. Yeah, right um, now, at this point, anybody just get a ring somewhere. Yeah, they have some good pieces, but I mean, until that, I mean, we need to get where LeBron needs to leave the NBA first, and then we'll have a chance. Um, no, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. I think the, I think we're gonna be good. We think we're gonna be good. Yeah. But, okay. When uh. So they're going to kill me if I don't ask this. When you first went into your career, did you work at Circuit City? Or did you have a job, a side hustle, a side job? Yeah. What were you doing? What happened there? When I was first with the, um, when I first uh, got to the Bulls, I was like in the streets, like in Chicago. I was fresh out of Queensbridge. So, and I was still dibbling and dabbling. So when I got to Chicago, first thing I wanted to do was go to the streets, go to Cabrini Green, Robert Taylor, 79th and Halstead. I was all over, right? <laughs> and um, and I was like, damn, I got to focus, man. I was out partying. You know, uh, you think you're super wealthy, but you only got 500 grand after tax. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, uh, but you know, as a kid, you're like, God damn, I'm Bill Gates. Right. <laughs> so I was out a little too much. And then like, I was partying a lot. So I said, you know, I need, I need something where I don't be, where I can just focus on the game and not try to get in too much trouble and just chill out. I'm like doing things I shouldn't. So I just said, I'm just gonna work at Circuit City. My, my, my friend was working at Circuit City. So I, I went, I was going there every day and like chill out after practice sometimes, just like walk around. And then I just asked the guy for a job, like, you know, can I work at Circuit City? And it was mainly just to stay out of trouble, you know, trying to just do anything to stay out of trouble. Yeah. Hey. Uh, Meta, I'm uh, I'm 22. What the hell is Circuit City? <laughs> the Best Buy. <laughs> it's best, best Buy. Okay, so okay, tech stuff. Okay, it's Best tech Buy. Stuff. Okay. Basically, I'm assuming some shareholders from Circuit City probably invested in Best Buy. Right. Because um, Circuit City's a dinosaur. <laughs> I hear you. Um, what uh, what year did you end up? Uh, your first year with the Lakers. Um. Oh, that was 2009. 2009. 2009-10 season, so you know September of 2009. Got you. How, how much? So how much have you changed since being drafted in Chicago? You talk about you're jumping around, you know, probably moving around too much. Uh, you get the job Circuit City just to kind of keep things, you know, nailed down. Now you go out uh, to LA and and you you link up with Kobe. 
how much different were you or did you have to change even then being around Kobe, somebody who's as intense as he was, somebody who much like yourself demands 110% effort every single day. Did it gel right away? Did you and Kobe gel? Was there any kind of clash? Was there, you know, any kind of big story there with Kobe that, uh, you know, kind of changed you as a player? Well, you know, the main thing was, um, you know, RIP my brother Kobe. The main thing was, um, so I just got finished playing against them with the Rockets the year before that. I was averaging 22 in the playoffs. Right. And, you know, uh, so I initially, I tried to go back to uh, the Pacers. That was my first choice. And then I tried to go to the Pistons. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't, and then, uh, and then you know, my, uh, our young brother, LeBron, he actually called and was recruiting me for the Cavs. So I didn't want to play with anyone. I wanted to stay in Houston first. Right. But Yao broke his foot and some things went, you know, I was a little upset, but I wanted to stay in Houston because I'm like, you know, I just stay put. That didn't work out. So then my agent called the Pacers. I think he put a phone call, but they was like, nah, the bro was just six years ago. Um, right, right. And then I thought that would have been a cool story. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna go to the Pistons. So I called, I, I thought I could have fit in with the Pistons, but they was like, nah, <laughs> right? I thought that would have been so dope so hard, but they don't understand. It's different from corporate to streets. Like right. for the streets, if Metal World, around I tested the time with a Piston jersey, I know corporate, but for the streets of Detroit, that would have been gangster, right? right, right, right. <laughs> that yeah, would have been gangster, yeah. right? And that's what I was thinking about, but it didn't work out. So then my next choice was Greece. So then I was trying to go to Greece. I said, cause I didn't want to play for any other NBA team because I just wanted to do something cool and I don't want to play with any stars. So then I tried to go to Greece, but when we was trying to go to Greece, they thought I was playing around. I'm like, yo, I'll take anything. I just want to, I want to play overseas. And my, I want to either be Pacers, Rockets, um, Pistons, or, well, the Knicks. I wasn't thinking about the Knicks. I'm thinking the Knicks is not even thinking about me at this point. Um, actually, they was thinking about me, but then Isaiah got fired. Isaiah Thomas got fired. So I was talking to Isaiah Thomas about going to New York, actually. Right. Isaiah Thomas got fired. Then Donnie Walsh went to New York, actually, also. So that kind of, you know, that kind of messed me up too from going to New York. So then with, with Greece, you know, I, I told them I'll take anything. I just wanted to play overseas in my prime because I love overseas basketball, Serbia, Croatia um, at the time, amazing basketball. And I wanted to play overseas in my prime. So Greece was like, nah, he's just playing around. And then, um, then we, I tried Angola. Cause I went, you know, I'm like, if I don't play in Greece, I could play in Africa, play in the motherland, but in my prime, I didn't want to play in the motherland, like, you know, um, an old man. Right. So, they, so they, everybody kept thinking I was playing and matter of run our test, a superstar to want to come here. So then though, all those options was out the window and then I was um, out in LA and then I got a call at 1201 from my agent. And then he says, um, Hey, the, the Lakers want to speak to you. And I'm just like, for what, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know, I did, they just beat me in the playoffs. Right, right. <laughs> they said they want to offer you a contract. And I was like, well, is there any other people that want me? He's like, nah, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, that's what happened. I was like, okay, I'll take it. I had no options. Like literally, well, I did have one option. I did have the Le LeBron. I could have went to, to the Cavs. That was the only other option I, I had um, at that time. Um, so, but I knew LeBron was going to be great, and one of the reasons I didn't want to one of the reasons I didn't want to play with our brother LeBron is because I knew he was going to be great. So my my whole goal is I wanted to try to beat these guys. Like 
like some guys are great already, you know what I'm saying? So they, they are at a higher level than we are in terms of success on the basketball court. So for me, I'm always trying to beat those guys, right? That's how I got motivated. So I, that's why I didn't want to play with like the greats of my era. I wanted to play against them. If I beat them at a championship, then we talking something different. Right. So it was like, yeah. So that was like the whole journey kind of going there. Right. Did, did you, before signing that contract with the Lakers, like, do you talk to Kobe? Do you talk to any of how any of the guys on the team? Or is it no, just like your agent handles it and you're in? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, Dr. Buss, um, I spoke to Magic Johnson. I spoke to Dr. Buss and then Magic Johnson. Um, and then I spoke to Kobe after I signed. Um, and then I think I spoke to Phil maybe at practice or something. Maybe yeah. I spoke to Phil hello, but um, but That's mainly funny. it was Dr. Bus. And Dr. Bus, we had lunch at the SLS Hotel, RIP Dr. Bus. And then I remember, no, the W Hotel. He, he, they called me at 12 one that night. We had breakfast the next morning. And he was just like, yo, I'm not gonna be able to pay you what you deserve coming off, you know, that playoff series you had against us, but we really want you here. And I was like, in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't got no options, doc. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I'll take it, thanks. Do you, do you remember that first convo with Kobe when you when you get there and you guys are like, damn, we're teammates? Do you remember that conversation? Um, With Kobe, it was, um, it was real brief. It was just like, yo, let's get it. I, I already know what he about. Cause I played against him, we had wars. You know, I never said nothing to him off the court ever. With the exception, I did interview him actually one time. I interviewed him that year actually, cause I, I was a fan. Oh, but I, I interviewed Kobe in, in 2008. I interviewed him for Fox. They was like, who you want to interview? I said, I want to interview Kobe, try to get Kobe. He came and did the interview, you know? Um, and I just humbled down because I was like, I really love, I really loved him and on the court, I don't, but off the court, I really admired him, right? So. That was the only other time I had a conversation with him. Other than that, you know, it was just on the court. Um, he's just such a competitor. Him, Derek Fisher, guys are super competitors. So you fit right in. You fit right into that that system that they had going. It was play as hard as you can and let's go win a championship. That was it. Yeah. At that point, I think I think my Houston series was good. You know, I was I did get in a little issue with Kobe. Um, I got a tech, but I didn't really initiate it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I think they realized that I can play and I was stable. Right. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, we, we were the only team to take him to game seven that year. Right. And, and Yao Ming broke his foot in game three. We blew him out in game one by 20. Um, so I think like from that standpoint, they think that they, they probably thought they can rely on me, but the hardest thing was playing a role. I went from averaging 22 to like six points. Right. <laughs> so that, that was really tough. tough. That was tough. Did you, like, yeah. Did you guys get to the finals your first year there? First year we won it. Yeah. First year we won it. Do you? I forgot you played with Yao. Is Yao good? Like amazing. Yao was one of the greatest players I ever played with. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Yao. That's very awesome to hear. Un, unstoppable. Nobody can stop him. <laughs> no good one. dude, right? Good dude, also, right? And Just a great a good guy. Dude. And a great yeah. dude. He was unstoppable. What made what made Yao Ming outside of the fact that he was seven foot whatever? What made him so good? I mean, I, I, high IQ. Uh, what was it that made him such a good basketball player? But one, he was rock solid, strong. Right, he literally can break your bones if he wanted to with his hands. Right, rock solid, strong, and very heavy. So 
try staying in front of him if you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, so and then two, he can shoot, left hook, right hook, free throw jumper, yeah, three pointer, could pass, could dribble, at seven six. That is unbelievable. No, he's unreal. If LeBron would have played with Yao, yo, if LeBron would have played with Yao, it would have been crazy. Was that strongest the people ever? Happening? High IQs. Yeah. I mean, man, <laughs> if LeBron would have played with Yao, I mean, LeBron's great already, but I'm just saying, I, just, I thought about that a couple times. I'm like, yo, that would have been sick. Yeah. Yeah. And you're seeing you know, the, the Cavs would have been cool. Huh? bunch of those kind of pairings now in the NBA where, you know, guys are, you know, doing that kind of thing. You got Brooklyn right now. I don't know how much, are you still pretty much plugged into the NBA? You watch it quite a bit and follow it or, or not really? I'm in it. I love, I love the NBA. Like, you know, um, when I, when I, when I played, I never watched cause I always like, just, I didn't want to see nobody, <laughs> you know, yeah. I just yeah. hated watching other players, you know, when I retired and I was able to reflect, and then the, like a year later, I became a huge fan. And um, I love watching the games, man. I just love watching the games. I love watching the players. It's just so exciting. You know, it's just like, it's just so exciting, man. Just like, I do, I, I wish there was more big men that was able to have more freedom. I'm getting yep. tired of watching these damn guards just dominate everything. It's super annoying. But with that being said, I'm still a fan, but I want to see some bigs like, come out and post up and damn like where are we at like everybody's six six and shorter you know with the exception of a yeah who's your favorite big right now in the in the nba i mean i'm not i know there's not a lot of true centers but in terms of right now who do you enjoy watching and be like damn we need more of that in the nba because it creates more of a balance well i respect the fact that the bigs are shooting threes because even pat ewing can shoot a three but I'm just saying, if the bigs wasn't shooting threes, they wouldn't have a job. Like, yeah. they're forced to shoot threes. I'm sure the bigs, they want to go back to the basket. They want to, you know, drop, step, hook, up and unders. But if they only do that, they're going to be on the bench. So, I mean, I'm watching guards for the most part. Lopez, he shoot threes. Embiid, yeah. he shoot threes. Um, uh, Davis, he shoot threes. <laughs> you know, right. um, Blake Griffin missed four threes <laughs> the other day. <laughs> they was killing him. I shout out to Blake, but they was killing him. But um, <laughs> if you, you were coming up now, because well, it was totally different even when you played, right? And like you weren't, you made, you ended up becoming a better shooter as you played. But yeah, I was a block. I was a small forward posted in the block. <laughs> you know. So do you, what do you think it would have been like you coming up now? Like you were, you're getting ready to enter the league right now. You think you would have yeah, changed I mean, your game? I mean, not really, because like, I, I always got five fouls anyway. I just didn't foul out. So I would have still been fouling. Um, and then shooting threes, you know, I can, you know, I shot 39 one year, you know, 38. So, you know, I could have shot 38% from three. Yeah. The, I, I want to get back on some of the your Lakers stuff. Yeah, before, yeah, oh, yeah, I was going to say, let's jump back into Lakers stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Jordan. Was you, were you thinking, was there kind of, cause I'm watching the last dance through now for like the third time. And I want to get into a little bit of Phil Jackson. Cause I got to know just, you know, who he was as a person and a coach, but do you think, because there's, there's, there's a similarity in what they did in Chicago um, to what they did in Los Angeles, when you go to the Lakers, 
What do you think about that comparison between you and Dennis Rodman? You a fan of it? You like it? Obviously, there's no denying how great of a player he was and you are. But is that something that you thought, when I'm going to L.A., I may not have many other options uh, in the league right now, but I'm going to fill that role that Dennis filled in in Chicago. Is that something that you were thinking about, cognizant of, or, or not really? I mean, I was a fan of Dennis. The, the only, I mean, Dennis, we're, we're really opposite players, total opposite, because Dennis started playing basketball late. Right. Dennis was actually a better wing defender. I didn't think he was until I watched him. I'm like, wow. I mean, I was pretty good too, wing, wing defender. I mean, we have to match it up, but wow, was he amazing wing defender. And then he became an amazing post defender. Um, but he was guarding Michael Jordan and Pippen, like, you know, when you watch those games. So when I caught Dennis at the tail end and I started to like him as a bull, so I had a power forward defender. Right. But his hustle was amazing. We were we, way different, but I did want to be like him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I, I, mean, I can see it. I changed my number to his, his number. You know, um, I mean, I, I admired him the whole way through. He was my idol. And then Jordan also, I changed my number to 23 when I was an all-star. So I also changed that because of Michael Jordan. It was the only reason. And then 91, Dennis Rodman. Yep. You know, um, and then some of my, my, one of my other favorite players was Gary Payton. I love Gary Payton defense. The glove. Um, yeah, yeah, I love Gary Payton defense. Those are my favorite, some of my favorite players. That's awesome. And, and again, in some of the Lakers stuff, obviously you guys win the title your first year. Like, take us through that team and how it all worked. Like, were you all really close? Was it Kobe giving like everyone else kind of setting the tone or like, who, who are the leaders of that group and how'd you guys all get along that, that team? Well, I would have to say, I would have to say like, um, Fisher was probably the one leader. If you had to go in order, Derek Fisher, Kobe, um, Powell, right, as players. The reason I say Derek Fisher, because he did most of the talking. He did most of the speeches, most of the, hey guys, we gotta win. We gotta play better, pay attention, right? Kobe was on the floor like Superman's hair with a cape, really. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it was, man. Like, I remember thinking like, this cannot be real. Like, this plan, I'm like, the stuff he's doing is not real. I'm, I'm not in awe of anybody. I'm the, I want to smash people's head. But I remember playing against him and I'm like playing with him. And just like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen every night. It's like something more incredible. It's like another magic trick. You know, it's like crazy. He's like 25 straight points in the playoffs. You know, mostly jumpers. <laughs> this guy is unbelievable, man. And then Powell, Powell was a rock star too. You know, but and then I was, after those three, you had a lot of other dope players. Shannon Brown, in practice, Shannon Brown would be killing in practice. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would not miss jumpers at all. <laughs> but it was hard to play when you're a shooting guard playing, you know, with Kobe, right? Yeah, and, that happens, right? I feel like that happens in the NBA, but like, I'm sure it happens to you. Like, there's guys who are in practice, like, damn, that guy's sick. And like, maybe they don't get the minutes and stuff. That happened a lot in the NBA? Um... I'm sure it does. I'm sure there's a lot of great players. You know, the NBA, I always tell people, you one inch away from making millions or 30 grand. <laughs> yep. Right? Depending on who's your agent. It could be a million overseas, but it depends who your agent is, right? Um, and it's the same thing. You you are an inch away from playing or being on a bench. You know, you that one inch is yes. like, right, it's crucial. 
Timmy, you touched on, but like some of the things that Kobe would do, like when those would be happening and you're on his team, are you like in awe? Are you talking to him, like hyping him up? Does he not want to talk to anyone when he's having like those 25 points in a quarter or whatever he's doing? Like what what were some of those moments like being his teammate and like how, how he would handle it? I think Kobe feeds off how hard his teammates is working, right? Like if you see LeBron, he might, his teammate might get a dunk. And he might be like, yeah, you know, pat him on and do all the old little dances they be doing, right? Whereas I think Kobe's different where if Kobe see us working hard, that fuels him. You don't necessarily need to go, come on, Kobe, you could do it. Or you playing great, he don't really care. <laughs> Maybe if Fisher, if Derek Fisher be like, let's go, I think he'll respond. But I, 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 don't, I don't recall, the only time I really embraced Kobe was a championship. Yep. <laughs> I swear that was the only time where we was like, yeah, let's go after we won. That was it. Um, it was never like, you know, it was never like in the season or if he dunked on somebody. I mean, and, and it's always happening. So yeah. I mean, sometimes he'll do something amazing. I was going to the bench. I'm not, I'm not about to be cheering every time this guy do something amazing. Like it's, be cheering it's quite too a bit, crazy. Though. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, Kobe, he'd be like just the whole. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> so, was that the best moment of your career when you hit the shot? Uh, my basketball career, the best moment of my basketball career, well, winning is very important. And in high school, I was 27 and 0, you know? So, and um, that was huge because Lou Alcinda did that, um, you know? So that was huge. Um, Basketball. I got a Rucker chance. I got. I never lost a game in a Rucker. <laughs> Not one game. Um, that's You're really Rucker. Yeah, never lost one game. I played this since I was 15. I played throughout the NBA. Never lost one game, and I got three championships. Yeah. So that's really big. Um, now, when you want to talk about the scope of things, the NBA. I mean, the Defensive Player of the Year was huge, man. That was really big. Um, that was a big award, regardless who you are. The champion, the shot was really big. That was a big shot that I made. So when you talk about the highest level, yeah. But there's other things that I've done that I'm really happy with. Cause like, when you look at my career, I'm not, it's not like LeBron. LeBron got 10 rings or whatever. <laughs> I can't compare my career to someone who has that many awards, but I did the best I can. So when I, when I, when I, when I, when I talk about everything, it was so many important moments and so many things I cherish, um, you know, uh, outside of that shot. Now, we were, if you want to just keep it the NBA, um, there's a couple of things that happened in the NBA that's really amazing. The defensive player of the year. Um, third team on NBA was big for me. It's the only time I made it. I got suspended after that. So I don't know what could have been, but that was really big, man. Being an all-star was really big. I was able to be an all-star. And then um, first team all defense was big. Then I won a championship and hit a big shot. So if, if I had to pick one, I mean, the defensive player of the year and then the big shot, I think those are kind of even to me um, in terms of like, you know, the biggest moments in my career. So you, you and Kobe on the wing, because you're a defensive player of the year. Kobe was all defense almost every season. And then you had the Bulls. Everyone talks about their defense, right, with uh, MJ and Pippen. Whose two uh, wing defenders are you taking? You and Kobe? Or uh, Pippen and MJ on the wing. It's out of those two. Yeah, I feel like those were the two. You guys were the two best defenders on your in team. Our prime? And were, 
Yeah. Oh, I'm going with me, definitely. You know why? Because um, Reggie Miller said I'm a better defender. I didn't say this, by the way. Reggie oh, Miller, said, Reggie Miller said you're a better defender than who? But he said he said I was a better defender. I don't want to start no drama. I don't want. I'm not trying to. Pippen when watches. I don't try to start no drama. But um, yeah. So Reggie said I was a better. He, he thought I was a better defender than Pippen. That's what he said. I played. You know. So I mean, I took it as a compliment. Yeah, of course. You know? I take his compliments. So if that's the case, I'm gonna go with me and Kobe. <laughs> Who's guarding MJ? You or Kobe? I'm gonna guard the best player. Best play defense. I want the best wing defenders ever to play. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna guard the best player. But MJ, MJ, well, Charles Barkley one time, this was, you know, our Charles is. So MJ in, in Chicago, I was playing against MJ in the summertime. And then, but that's when I accidentally broke MJ ribs, right by mistake. Um, and we was playing really tough. Right, he tough as nails, I'm tough as rusty nails, right? So um, MJ will always call, well not call, but he would say, you coming back? And invite me back to play, cause I'm like going hard. And he wanted, he want that. So in the in the paper, he said, you know, Ron Artest was like my favorite player. On the Bulls, he probably said. And I'm like, oh, I would call my friends. Yo, MJ said, yo, you know, you know how this is going, right? Yeah. I ain't making this up. And then Charles Barkley was like, I was talking to Charles like, man, MJ never said that. Why MJ going to say, you know, Ron Artest's his favorite player? I'm like, I ain't say it, man. He's, I ain't, that, that nigga said it, man. I ain't say it. <laughs> shit, man. I ain't going to say MJ said something like But shit. And that actually, um, when I talk about my biggest moments, um, that was huge for me. Yeah. Was, and I actually looked it up. It's on Google. But on years and years, you got to search and search and search and search. <laughs> I actually had it as a thumbnail, but I got tired of having it, but I had it as a thumbnail, screenshotted it, everything. It's the most, I mean, like that right there was amazing. Um, LeBron calling me to play on his team was amazing. Playing with Kobe was amazing. There was a couple things. Oh yeah, and then Kawhi Leonard. When I got back to the league after I left for a minute, I got back, I never speak to Kawhi. Kawhi don't speak to nobody. I was gonna say Kawhi doesn't speak yeah. to I don't even speak to nobody. So, you know, you know, the only, only contact I had with Kawhi in the court, one time I grabbed his wrist, he grabbed my wrist back. And we didn't say nothing, but I was like, okay, it's gangster, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, here a little, here a little gangster, right? But um, I got back on the court and I was like 2015, I was, I was coming, I was like mentoring, so I'm in at the end of the game or whatever. And um, he was like, yo, it's good to have you back. And I'm just like, okay, it just was messing with me all night. <laughs> I went home, I called my boys, I said, yo, Kawhi Leonard said, it's good to have you back. <laughs> you know, that was like, a, that was actually a big moment because, you know, it's like coming from a player of that stature, right? right. I, I, have, I, I don't have many things to hold on. Because, you know, when, in my career, it's like, I, my, when I was going to be another all-star, I got suspended, right? That's another award. When I was going to get another defensive player of the year, Another um, all, all team, all defense, more, more, more. I, I was I was tanking emotionally at that time, so I only have a couple of things to hold, a couple of awards and a couple of really good memories, and I love them. Honestly, I cherish yeah. them like they. I cherish them like they MVPs. Yeah, but I'd I'd say this like if you talk to guys like that, like you said, Kawhi, MJ, Kobe people of significance, they all say this stuff, that's almost better than an award, right? It's, 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 I'm so grateful. I'm so, I'm so grateful because, I mean, I do have a championship. I don't have an MVP. That's something I really wanted. 
and you don't get a lot of chances. Like Russell Westbrook got an MVP. He's, but you don't get two chances to get an MVP. It's like, it's really hard, right? So there's a couple of things I'm missing, but you know, with that being said, there's a couple of things I got. And I just cherish those moments. Um, and I, I'm really grateful. It's something that I, you know, I love the game of basketball. I watch my clips sometimes. Like I love watching you get basketball. You know, I got a basketball app, <laughs> literally. Like, yep. Freaking obsessed with the game. I thought I didn't love it, but apparently I do. So I'm, I'm grateful, very, very grateful. That's you talked awesome. about playing. You talked about playing against MJ a little bit, and obviously you played with and against Kobe. Did you see a lot of similarities between those two guys? Like, did you get yeah. like, what, how are they? When were how are they different? Say um, MJ and Kobe. Yeah. I just think uh, MJ was a little stronger. Um, Kobe, they, they were so similar, man. I, I, it was. MJ, MJ might have been stronger, but I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to say, like, it's really hard to say because, you know, when you think about MJ was a beast. So it, it, it's really, it, it's, it's literally inches. And if MJ is the best, it's not by far. If MJ is better than LeBron, it's literally not by far. It's literally by a split second, maybe yeah. a second, <laughs> maybe a whole second. Right. Right. But that's it. They are. So, and Kobe too, like if, if LeBron is better than Kobe, I'm, it's not, it's about uh, here, literally, right? So it's not hard for to sure. We're, we wanted to hit on this kind of towards the end. You know, we're a few days out now from it being a year since, you know, the tragic loss of Kobe and Gigi. And I feel like everyone kind of shares a lot of different stories. But obviously you got to spend so much time with Kobe. You know, is there one story that sticks out? I'm sure you've gotten asked this a bunch, but is there one story that sticks out just to, about your guys' relationship in general, um, but like a Kobe story that, that you want to share with everyone? Uh, I mean, with Kobe, I had one moment at the end of our career where he came in the room. At, at, on the bus, he was like, yo, I'm coming to your room. Play those beats. Yo, I want to rap. That was my favorite moment with Kobe because um, I've heard Kobe's album when I was in 2001 when he put out that first album with Sony and it didn't get released. He actually, I think they bought it back. But I heard that whole album and I was rapping at that time. I was inspired by Shaq. Right, because Shaq was a rapper. And, um, you know, so I knew Kobe was a writer, but you never heard Kobe rap after that. He had a video, but that was it. It was short-lived career, right? So the time we came in the room, you know, I, I, I played some beats. He started rapping. He, he wrote a bunch of rhymes. He might have had four pages of rhymes, maybe four pages front and back. And then he was freestyling. And I was like, it was just fun. And I remember like leaving the call on my boys. Like, I was just rapping with Kobe. It was crazy. <laughs> this is, and this is like his last year. This is actually his last year, you know? Um, and it was this great, a great human moment, you know, cause you don't really see Kobe as human when you play with him. It's just like unreal a lot of the times. Um, especially if you're not having lunch and dinner and calling, hey bro, what you doing bro? You know, it was none of, none of that stuff with me and being so couple great moments. And then we had some dinner at the end of his career, twice um, with the team, the championship dinner we had after the championship preseason, we all went out as a team, had some drinks, had some dinner. So that was really cool. Um, we sat close to each in the back of the bus and we were doing, doing his career. So that was cool moments. But uh, I, did, I did ask him, how does he make big shots? Actually, I asked him and Derek, I said, Kobe and Derek, I need to speak to you. Something like that. I'm like, how do you make big shots every single time, <laughs> right? Like, 
it's like asking somebody, how do you do what's two times two and how do you get this equation, right? Or how do you get this answer? I mean, you can't answer that, right? You can't, but I said, listen, I, I, I need to know because we're in the playoffs. This is before the playoffs. I said, I can't afford to be missing big shots. And I said, and I said, I told both of them, I'm like, yo, uh, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> and this is like, they, they were just, you know, Fisher was just like, well, uh, <laughs> you know, just like stay in the moment and just like, you know, something like that. But it was nothing that you can really learn. You just had to listen. And then you actually had to embody it. Um, and then I, it actually worked for me. I, I really felt like those two actually That's in awesome. the playoffs. Yeah, I really did. I know you've hit a lot. Jordan, you've hit big shots though. Like, I'm curious for you, Jordan. Like, do you think about that stuff? Cause you think a lot of like, I know it's not on the NBA level, but I mean, I, I remember in high school and college, you've done, you had those types of things. Is there one shot that sticks out for you? Uh, I mean, my senior year state championship, uh, hitting that game winner was tied up. I mean, I think Meta would say the same thing that, that Kobe would say and everybody else. And it's really easy. Like the less you think, the better. As soon as you start thinking, that's when shit goes haywire. So obviously, yeah. like they, they looked at it like it was another shot. Meta, when he shot that, the feeling in that exact moment was no different. And, and that's the hard part is making it feel no different than the, you know, thousands yeah. of jumpers shot the week before, you know, in the, in the practice gym, nobody in there. It's hard, right. but I mean, you also got to have a set to do it. So, you know, yeah. You know what I mean, that's <laughs> what it really comes down to there's only, you put 10 guys in a gym, probably only one of those guys is going to step up at the end and be like, yeah, you know, I got the, you know, set to do this or even take the shot. So it's crazy though. I mean, Kobe could have easily took that shot and made it. He put me in a moment in the position. If Kobe makes that shot, I'm regular running our test. I had defense player of the year. I'm right. He literally passed me the ball and cemented a great career that, and a great player that I actually was. Like Kobe did that. Right. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was ready. <laughs> I, was, I was ready. For, I was ready. You had to hit it. But that was all Kobe, man. Like, you know, Kobe and then Paul Pierce, him too, for coming off me a little bit. But <laughs> that led to the greatest, like, sound uh, bite ever, too. That that oh, shot right there. Kobe, he ever when you sit down post game right there. No, that was the song. Oh, did I just cut out? Yeah, you did. That me? No, that was Jordan. Oh. Uh, you hear me now? Am I good? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, no, I was just saying it led to one of the greatest post-game interview sound bites ever. Kobe passed me the ball. Well, you know what's <laughs> crazy? What was crazy about that? They wasn't gonna even have me on the podium. I had to go to the podium. I'm like, yo, this ain't happening. <laughs> I had a that's big amazing. Game. Yeah, that's how I got up there. And nobody wanted to interview me. They be always, they was always doing that to me in my career, like always putting me to the side for a long time. I, I, it was always happening. But I'm like, nah, nah, nah. To talk I'm, right? Huh? They didn't have you slotted to talk. Nah, I had to go up there and tell them this is not happening. I want to be interviewed. I had a big ass game. <laughs> that's how that worked out. <laughs> that's that how awesome. it worked out. Yeah, man. I was like, this is not happening. Not tonight. <laughs> you party after that? You party after that game? You no, know that. I party. We went out. I took my family. I wish I would have just stayed with the family all night, by the way. But I went out. And then Dr. Dre recorded Champions Part 2 with me that night. And we never put it out. But Dr. Dre, wow. I went out. 
smoked a lot of marijuana, and then um, um, with Dr. Dre in the studio in my uniform, Dr. Dre is producing my Champions Part Two that night. Are we gonna ever hear it? Will it ever come out? Well, he has it in the files. You gotta ask Dre. It's in the files. I, I don't have a direct line to Dre. If you wanna send me that number, I'm down. <laughs> and uh, the crazy thing was, I didn't even finish the verse. I was so tired. It was like four in the morning. The pop is right here, and Dre's such a perfectionist. He's like, say it like this, say it like this. So we literally spent 30 minutes on a syllable, right? 30 minutes on a syllable. This is how perfect, this is how perfect Dr. Dre is, right? So I'm trying to do my best and I'm falling asleep behind the papa. He's behind the screen and I'm trying to not let him see my eyes. And I'm like this. <laughs> <laughs> I was not, I was passing out. I say, Doc, can we finish the next verse tomorrow? I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm really tired. <laughs> and I never finished the second verse. Yeah, like That's 10 years awesome. ago. Yeah, no, he's a perfectionist and and, you, and this we didn't get to respond kind of, but the kobe rapping story is insane people always talk about his work ethic too like did you get any of those crazy like him working out practice type stories yeah i've seen him yeah sometimes i would go to the gym i would go to the club and then go to the gym so i'll be drunk and then go to the gym um to even in your laker days yeah a lot of my days i will anytime i get drunk i go to the gym right got it so I sweat it out immediately. I work hard four times a day. But then one time I got you, I was in the gym early. Like I, I might've got there at four in the morning. One time I said, Kobe, we're getting in at 5.30. I'm like, you do this every day. <laughs> Kobe in the gym at 5.30 every day. And then, and then sometimes I would get there at eight or maybe 8.30 sometimes and then he'll be leaving the gym. But most of the times I got to the gym um, at about 9.30, my, my, my work day started about 9.30. So I will always miss him for the majority of the time. But sometimes I would, I would try to catch him, but he'd be, you know, lathered, sweating. I mean, I'm drying off deodorant, cologne, pushing the range of the Ferrari, headed home at 8.30. So you hear, those, you hear those stories about like after the championship, after you guys won the chip, is he partying or is he like partying and then going, he's going to the gym? I don't know what nobody was doing, honestly. I don't know. I don't know what anybody was doing. I don't know how I was out partying. Um, but after after game six, I, after we won game six, I actually went right to the, I went to Equinox. I went right right to the weight room right after game six and, and lift. Um, and then, so I, I, I was focused. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, sometimes you got to have a good time. I hear you. Hey, before, uh, before we let you go, um, just wanted to kind of talk about what you're doing now. You kind of mentioned your app. Um, and just the, the stuff you're doing with the basketball world, but also just like, what are you doing right now as a competitor? I've always wondered how that transition out of competition goes. What are you doing? Is it still basketball? What, yeah, what man. So I was coaching for the Lakers for a little bit, but I was doing this, this app, which is launching on January 29th is xversexports.com. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, launching the app is much more than just an app, but um, that's all I'm doing right now, honestly. I mean, I have Artist Management Group, which is a C-Corp. Um, Experts at Sports is also a C-Corp. So I got two C-Corps. Then we have, I have a business management company. So we got like a baseball play. I invested in this like six years ago. So we do like taxes and reconciliations and bill pay. And we got some, well, Canelo Alvarez is one of our clients. Christina Perez runs that company. I got a couple of things going, you know, but um, for the most part, like only Experts at Sports is what I'm focused on right now. Um, creating opportunities for competitive athletes, 
you know, to have a good experience building up the basketball community. Um, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be really cool. I think it's really fun. Um, you can create your own teams on the app. You can accept donations. So if you want to support one of your local teams from like West Virginia or whatever, right? Donate five dollars to them. Donate and help them get some water. Or take a trip to another city. And then also you could um, pay players to play um, according to their skill level. If our elite players, so you could travel America and make bread. You don't have to go to Mexico for five hundred dollars a month. Stay right here in America. And uh, that's what we want to do. We want to. I want to make sure American basketball and American semi-pro basketball and minor league basketball is, get, is becoming strong again. So you don't have to go to all these other countries and leave your family, you know, for $200 a month, right? And we want to do that here in, right here in America. So X versus X sports, there's a, a lot of passion behind it. Um, just like, you know, you, if, you're, if your parents, you know, they, they put their foot in the food, they made some food and they put their foot in it, you know? Right. I put my foot in this one. <laughs> exactly. I put my foot in this one. But yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it, man. That's pretty much it. Shout out to Overtime, man. Always, always, always. What about, uh, hey, before you jump off, what about boxing? I know you're working out and stuff. I know you're trying to keep, you know, in shape. And, and you, you see all this stuff going on with, with celebrity fights and all this stuff. I would stuff. never fight. You can pay me $100 million to fight. If somebody offered me money twice. <laughs> I'm not fighting anybody. They offered me all the money, well, they might also I'm not fighting. For you saw Lamar, Lamar, is, Lamar is gonna fight Lamar Odom. I know, I did see that, that's my brother, I did see that. I'm not fighting anybody. No way in the world, you couldn't offer me. They offered me a couple million, no way. Just go why why is that? You just like, it's just not worth it to you? I don't feel like getting hit in my face. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> you saw <laughs> what happened, was that all because of what happened to Nate or you felt that way before seeing you know, Nate get? I was get somebody offered me money before that, before Nate was fighting, somebody offered me money to fight. Five Meta. <laughs> That's the best exit ever. I think we just lost Meta. He's been on here with us for a while, so odds are his phone or computer died. Jordan, you're still here, right? Yeah, no, I'm still locked in. But I think if we get an hour and whatever minutes from Meta World Peace, yeah, we should good. consider ourselves lucky and keep it moving. So uh, that was that was unbelievable. He was as candid as could possibly be. I had a lot of fun. And uh, all you listeners out there, we're going to cut it right here. Uh, make sure you stay tuned next week. We oh, got a, you know a, what? We what? didn't get dating advice from Meta. He was going to give Spencer dating advice. But but next yeah. time, next time. I didn't ask him if he thought pregame Viagra was a good idea or if he's ever tried it. So that's yes. unfortunate. Next time with Meta World Peace, we will make sure to cover all of those and maybe even questions from you, the listeners. Stay tuned for next week. We got big baby Glenn Davis on the pod. I will not be on that episode. And here's why. It's already been recorded. And I had a, a long practice. You know, we, we didn't have a great one. Hugs didn't like how it was going. So we stayed a little bit extra. You know, shit happens. So until next time, we will see you guys later. Enjoy yourself. Peace. Tom? I got a mic. Peace.